There is so much freedom in being anonymous. Welcome to AMI Audiobook Review, the weekly podcast where we chat all things audiobooks. I'm your host, Ramia Amuthan, with co-host Jacob Shymansky and technical producer Nisreen Abdel-Majid. Jacob, you read today's quote. It is from the memoir that we are going to spend at least the next 25 minutes talking about, which is The Women Woman in Me. Why did I pluralize that? I don't know. You bunch of us women. the women in me <laughs> the women the multiple women in me no uh, that's a very woman. different meaning <laughs> i know it's a very different but memoir. no this quote it doesn't seem like too much on its own but it's who said it that really makes it powerful mm-hmm. to me it's said by Brittany spears in her newest memoir the woman in me yes And that is what we're going to talk about, at least for the first half of the episode. Karen McKay and Teresa Power from the Center for Equitable Library Access are joining us. Uh, And it's going to be a full-fledged book review, people. So if you want to pause now, read the book and come back so you can take part in the conversation do so. Uh, also, we have Amir Khan joining us later in the show. He's got three books and three authors uh, that have piqued his interest, that he's read either the books or want to add to his reading list from this past month. And speaking of Sila, let's go skim through the homepage with the three featured titles and then we'll get to our review conversation. So here are the three featured titles at celalibrary.ca. And as I said, it's the Center for Equitable Library Access. The titles there are 19 Steps by Millie Bobby Brown. This is a family stories title. Doppelganger by Naomi Klein. And this uh, has or focuses on social issues. And the last one is Reykjavik, a crime story by Ragnar Jonasson. And this is a mysteries and crime stories that Teresa brought up in a past recent conversation. Teresa Power and Karen McKay. Karen McKay is the communications manager at SELA. And Teresa Power is the content and access uh, librarian. So you both are back. Thank you for coming back. It's November. Welcome back. Hello, hello. Thank you. It's nice to be back. Yeah. And the time is flying. This is like our 11th conversation of the year because we only join us once a month. We are talking about The Woman in Me. This is a Britney Spears memoir. I can't remember when it was released, but what, about a week ago, Teresa? Yeah, about a week ago. And uh, it's getting a lot of press for obvious reasons. It was getting a lot of press before it came out. And now it's out. It was just under six hours as an audiobook. Uh, it is now available on the Sela collection through the Bookshare uh, options. So if you're signed up for Bookshare through Sela, then you will have access to The Woman in Me. Who wants to start with first impressions? Who's rearing a go? Nobody? Jacob, not even you? It's like in... <laughs> In elementary school, when there's an oral presentation, nobody wants to be first. Nobody wants to be first. Okay, fine. fine. I'm kind let's... of speechless, I have to say, in yeah. a way. Yeah. Let's talk about the before and after. Okay, let's start with the before around the table. Um, who was highly anticipating Britney Spears or highly following Britney Spears through her career, through all the stuff that was going on with her? There's a lot to follow about Britney. So, Jacob, starting with you. How much did you care before I, the memoir? Not at all. Like, not whatsoever. All I know, all I knew about Britney Spears is that she had some sort of weird conservatorship going on and that people on 
Instagram and socials where we're talking about free Britney. I'm like, what is she yep. in prison or something? And I mean, that's not far off from the truth, honestly. But as far as her career goes, low, like, no, I didn't really care too much. Although I do like her music now. Oh, now. Um, yeah, but I only heard of this memoir when uh, Teresa sent an email not even a week ago. Oh, and okay. uh, I cranked it out in like two sittings. And um, I have pretty positive thoughts on this memoir, honestly. Okay, good. Karen, you next. I was not a fan before. She came into popularity um, when I was, you know, I was raising young kids. And so I didn't really pay a ton of attention. I was more in the, uh, you know, the the kid music genre at that point. Um, and I wasn't really anticipating the, the release of this memoir. I only know about her based on sort of what anybody in this culture would know about her. She's pretty famous. So, mm. um you know, so I, I know some of the things similar to what Jacob mentioned about the conservatorship and, um, you know, some of her her um, appearances on music videos and things that made a big splash, but never followed her. Don't have a lot of the pop cultural references that um, were relevant for her particular early career. So uh, the book was interesting from that perspective. Okay. And for me, I, I followed her music a little bit, just whatever was hit singles, knew a lot about the conservatorship because I was just intrigued by what exactly was going on but I was only hearing about things afterwards right so you know there's several like documentaries and things that are out there where people have published this is what's been going on with Britney so I was getting kind of the uh, after uh, wrap-ups and summaries of what was going on but I mean the last two years I'd say I paid more attention to Britney than I have in the last 20 and Teresa you have probably the most thoughts about this. So where were you before I, the memoir? Yeah, so I mean, when her first music video came out, Baby One More Time, and the music video was her in school and like a school uniform, and she talks about doing this music video too mm-hmm. in, in the audio book. I, um, I was in high school, so I was like the perfect age target audience for Britney Spears and uh you know I was into Backstreet Boys I was into NSYNC as well like this was just for this was for for me for kids my age right so I grew up um knowing her and really enjoying her music um enjoying pop music in general uh and yeah, kind of followed her throughout her career. Like her, her age and my age were only a couple years um, off from each other. And uh, yeah, I basically have sort of followed her throughout her career. Not necessarily always music-wise, um, but definitely following her through everything that that has kind of has happened in her life. Yeah, I think it says a lot about her position in culture that at least what Karen and I, and I think you, Ramya, to a certain extent, that all we really remember of her, all we really know of her is her controversies. Yep. Like her shaving her head and the... Hashtag And the conservatorship and that infamous VMA performance back in the early 2000s. Um, She is more controversy than celebrity at this point. Yes. And so whatever it was, the impressions that we had of Britney or lack of, I guess, for some of the audience going into the book, um, there is a lot that came out from the book. Do you think it's fair to say that a lot came out that we 
didn't know about? Or is it just that we wanted to hear it straight from Brittany? I think for me, like, there was definitely a lot that I didn't realize was happening behind the scenes because, you know, what we get from the public is very much like the the TMZ sensational. She was, you know, carrying her child in her lap when she was driving and she ran over someone's foot. And there was definitely uh, a perspective, her perspective, I think, missing in context for like what was really going on behind the scenes. Um, if we, you know, believe what she says, basically. But so I think for me that that was really missing because I know when, you know, there was a lot happening and she had shaved her head and from an outsider's point of view, it looked very alarming. And then this conservatorship kind of came along and it seemed like for me, I was like, oh, I'm like really relieved there's somebody looking after her because it looks like she needs a lot of help. And you know, not really knowing actually a lot about like her growing up and her father's alcoholism and just like, I think just like the toxic environment that she grew up with and honestly how uh, formidable, I think, or um, what an impression the way that she grew up had, I think, on, on her and her with the way she lived her life and I think even like her development as a person it's for me like those were all things I think that were you know that are missing from the headlines uh that I really appreciated reading about well Teresa I have a question for you yeah. since you followed her career for a long time and you've been following her do you remember what the sentiment was at the time when the conservatorship first started back in 2008 like did people see it as a good thing for her because if that was the case that's really interesting looking back on it now I know for me yeah I I, I think that I thought it was a really good thing and that's because it it was really positioned against like the head shaving and being you know carted off from her house under a the, like a 5150 hold or whatever that's called in the United States like Certainly the way that it was positioned in the in the headlines is like, yes, it, it's a good thing because, you know, someone can now be in charge because she, it looks like she she can't be in charge of things herself for sure. And I think that many people probably thought that way as well. Like I would definitely call myself someone who has like followed her for her career, but maybe like diehard fans saw something different. I mean, I think they were very much the people behind the that Free Britney movement and saw something maybe that, you know, I, I didn't necessarily see who saw the conservatorship as as a real negative. I'm I had many moments during this um read that I felt Brittany was still so apologetic for being vulnerable. Uh, and, you know, there was a lot where she was like, I'm sorry, I know that this sounds crass, or maybe this is 
extreme to say or you might think this is crazy or untrue, but like she was very apologetic still. And I think that it's coming. The reason why I was noticing it a lot is I assume that and I'm not saying I rightly or wrongly assume, but I just assume I go into memoirs thinking, okay, people are at a place where they are ready to share. And especially when it's celebrities and especially when there's history uh, that celebrities have tried to, you know, either escape from or tiptoe around or whatever the case may be. And so hearing this tone from Brittany, that she was still very like, I'm not yet okay. I'm not yet at a place where I feel like I am fully myself again or fully healed or fully whatever it is. Um, was It felt tender. You know, it felt very like, are you sure you want to put this stuff out there now? Even the parts where she was like near the end where she was like, I don't know if my family will read this and I haven't talked to them for so long. So I'm not sure what their reaction is going to be. It sounded like she was still having this internal conflict of whether it was OK or not for her to release this. Does any, Did anybody else get that? Yeah, I definitely. Yeah, mm. I definitely picked up on that. The, the whole thing. For me, um, not sort of having lived um, through all of this with Brittany in real time, it felt, um, I'm trying to say this nicely, it felt juvenile. It didn't feel as introspective as I would expect most celebrity memoirs, mm. especially with somebody with a history like she's had to be. Like she still feels to me um, that she needs caring for yes. and that she's missing somebody in her life to say, you know, you want, do you want to think about this from this perspective or that perspective? Um, and, you know, like Teresa, I remember having a conversation online with a, a group of women in, a, in an online forum um, just after she shaved her head. And we were, we were all young moms and, and we were talking about what seemed to be lacking in her life. And it was that thing. It was somebody that was actually looking out for her best interest. And that's a theme that runs throughout this book. Mm. And I think that's still the the case right now. And I think even at, what is she, 41, 40, 41 now? Um, I don't think that she's matured and grown to the point that I would, would hope for her. Mm. Um, and I found that interesting that that was sort of hinted at in the um the tweet or the post or whatever that Justin Timberlake put out about it. Um, just that, you know, he was hoping for growth for her. I can't remember the specifics, but um, I was, um, I was initially kind of disappointed with the book, to be honest, because it didn't, it just felt like a, a day-to-day recounting of her life. And a lot of the stuff that I read, I, I don't know why, but it felt like I already knew it or I ha- maybe I had assumed it, like it, mm. not the specific details, but sort of the themes about, you know, growing up in a dysfunctional family and um, being very male oriented in her in her life. There's a lot of aspirations that come out in this book about, you know, she talks a lot about powerful women that she admires and that she is learning from them and that sort of thing. But I, um, there's not sort of a deep reflective part of that about you know, how she's going to, to empower herself. And I, and I, as she's saying that, I'm thinking, if you were truly empowered, I don't know that you'd be putting this book out in this format right now. Right. So similar kind of feelings as to what you had. Right. And Jacob, you wanted to comment on this as well. Yeah, I am. I was wondering if memoirs get a pass for being 
blandly written just because the person who's writing them has a particularly interesting story to tell. And I think we can all agree that Brittany here has a absolutely bonkers story to tell, but it is. I did have my concerns with the book and that it wasn't particularly well written. It was very raw and somewhat came out, I'd argue, a little too early. Like, I feel like her story isn't over yet. Right? Like, I feel like if this came out five or 10 years from now, it maybe it would have been very different, especially in her approach and how she saw herself. Because let's remember, like, the conservatorship ended in 2021. That's not a lot of it's time so to recent. process all yep. of that, right? It's very recent. But a question I could pose to you guys do you think having a particularly good story can kind of carry a memoir? Well, clearly it does. Right. Clearly, you know, we're not going in into this case. Thinking, yeah, this absolutely. Is gonna, exactly. And not just in this case, but any case. Um, who's the supermodel memoir that you just read, Jacob? Oh, uh, Emily Ratajkowski. OK, so even in that story, and I, I have no familiarity with her. OK, so I'm not going to go into that. But I'm saying just understanding that this memoir is about this woman and kind of a tell all of the industry or uh, with Britney Spears, a tell all of her life, just her piecing the puzzle together. Um, I think that, yeah, a story can most definitely carry a memoir. And whether or not we're interested in or were grabbed by the writing style is something else completely, I think. Because some people are amazing writers. Uh, some people are not so great writers, but their story will carry it. And for me, I'm always just looking for, whether or not the, the writing style was great, I'm always just looking for what the intention is. And I think that's why, even with this memoir, even though it kind of sits at a lukewarm place for me um with how she told it what she told us and where she is when she wrote this all the things that we've already pointed out I still think that the intention for her was to get this story out now and that sits highly with me um I will compare this to when Demi Lovato a couple years ago came out with a mini series on YouTube I think. Hmm. Anyways, she came out with a mini series. I felt very similarly when I watched that. Uh, it was supposed to be kind of a, a memoir-ish thing of everything that's going on in her life, who she is now and where she is and all the kind of dirt that she's wanted to expose uh, people out on and all this other stuff. And I, I still felt the same way. I'm like, you're too young. This is coming out yeah. and you're still so yeah. vulnerable to criticism. And, you know, lo and behold, she comes out and she struggled just from the content that she released because of all the backlash. And um, I'm thinking it's similar to Britney. But why do people release memoirs in this way at these times for themselves? Do they get feedback from people not to do so? Or why do they do it anyway? Um it's hard, but it is a huge exploration. Sometimes it felt like it was part of her healing process. It is, yeah. Right? It, it was be. more of a personal thing for her than a, a money-making endeavor. Mm -hmm. Like a public diary entry or something. Yes. My hope for her is that, you know, the next 30 or 40 years of her life are not memoir-worthy. That they're mm. boring and that she, you know is able to grow and to find the companionship I think that she so 
desperately wants and, um, you know, like lives her life because she, I, you know, her, the audiobook really gave me perspective because, you know, as a kid, as a teen, you're just like, it's great. Like music videos, albums, one after another. And in reality, she compacted a lot of content, mm. a lot of, of, of music time in a very short period of time, right? And then she was trying to take a break, but she didn't really. She had children. And then it was 13 years of conservatorship and a Las Vegas residency that was repetitive, right? So, yeah. like, there was her actual like career time and and her the time where she was creative was what maybe like four or five years or so like it, it was it wasn't actually all that long no so so I can see I, I I'm trying to think of like what a future memoir would be for, from her is she going to come up with a book like later on saying like, this is the real memoir? Right. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Hopefully she comes out with something more introspective. I was thinking as I was reading the, or listening to this book, um, it's similar to the kind of concerns I had when Prince Harry came yep. out with his book, Oof. that a lot yeah. of this stuff should be said on a therapist's couch, not in a, in a <laughs> exactly. book. And I, yeah. And I was thinking, you know, she's dedicated to her boys and she's talked about her boys in the, um, in the book. And I'm thinking, Oh, I don't know that I would want my kids to hear yeah. this from me at this stage in my life. But what I wanted to say is that I think that the real value of this book, I, I have to say I didn't love the book, but um, I think the real value of the book is the conversations that people are having around the impact of the media mm. and the paparazzi and the patriarchy yes. on, on Brittany Absolutely. and how she was set up to fail. Yes. Yep. Right. Like I think that that's where the value from this book will come from a cultural perspective is that it just reinforces that there's still so much work to do and that there are real humans behind these Absolutely. persona that are out in the media and that, you know, that, um, that not all of them, I mean, there are some really strong women that are able to sort of hit back for lack of a better word. Brittany clearly, she's too tender. She, I don't think mm. that she, I don't think she'll step into that role for a long time. Um, but that's why we need to have this conversation is that people need protection. She was failed by pretty much everybody in her life. It sounds like it. Um, yeah. And the media, the media made money off that, which is just horrible. I don't know who I'm more angry at her, her, Mother, I, I I think that like the mother a mother daughter relationship is quite special and um you you know you look up to your mother or your, or a mother figure to kind of guide you you know through these yeah. things and you know her mother was drinking with her as a preteen and and I was just yeah. really shocked by that and it seemed like her you know her mother wasn't there now maybe not to put the burden all on her shoulders her both of her parents were sound dysfunctional dysfunctional together um but you know for me like a theme here really is like how also like the men in her life exploited her and it's terrible it's it's um 
really uh, it really upsets me to to read that and and I think you know I've been talking on and on with people about like Justin Timberlake Justin Timberlake and mm. for me like he really stands stands out because this isn't the first time that he's been in this position where he's been able to exploit and use a situation uh, involving another woman to boost his his own career and his own persona Mm -hmm. and his revenue and that is bad and he clearly does not get it like I think in that other instance, he bowed down to pressure from other people to apologize and to say that he recognized oh, yeah. the difference in that situation. Oh, and like it was. And, and, sorry, finish your thought. No, and and it's the same thing here again that he has done. It's just he did it earlier in his career, mm-hmm. um, and and now like it's it really. Um, because he's also like contemporary right to Britney Spears. So, you know, like was really into NSYNC as well growing up and, you know, as any young kid does like hold, holds these people up to a different pedestal and reveres them and loves their music and they're all famous and stuff like that. And like, you know, just thinking about that other instance with Justin Timberlake, I really didn't think much of him then. And I think absolutely nothing of him now after reading you know, reading the memoir here and her experiences with him. Well, it crushed me when she, uh, when Brittany talked about, well, when he outed me as being sexually active, I thought, good, you know, he did the dirty work for me because why Oof, uh, yeah. does the world believe that I have to be a virgin still? And I thought, you know, you're so vulnerable in saying that, but the way that that paints a light on how easily she is persuaded that people are doing the right thing for her or that Mm -hmm. she has no control over her own Mm -hmm. image and her own reputation. Uh, And there were so many examples of that, so many, where she just like, okay, uh, I guess this is what's happening. I tried, but I had no choice. Like with Kevin Kevin Federline, like he basically married her and then used her to try and boost his own career and she was his like career. yeah i'm i'm you know i guess want him you gotta to have my husband yeah i i, yeah. I want ha- him to have a, a good career or whatever and it's like he's he's like yeah. ghosting you he's like clearly, clearly I mean, she didn't even know you. he was a father in weeks into the relationship just yeah. like, oh, he was giving me the love that i wanted yeah and, it, and for me like like listening to that just really painted a whole different picture about how he's positioned himself in in the public and and having um uh not ownership custody of of those kids mm. and then you look at like that relationship early on with his kids mm-hmm. and with the mother of his children. And you just like, yeah. again, you're like, Oh, like there's definitely a, um, like a, a media kind of spin to, to something. And the reality of it was actually quite different. Yeah. Something that really was hard to read for me was knowing that Brittany was constantly in tune with the news and the news cycle and what was going on. Like she had people, coming up to her and telling her what Mm -hmm. people were seeing in the media. She was reading the magazines and knew everything that people were saying about her at any given time. 
So it's not like she was oblivious to all these things. She was fully aware what the conversation was around it. Yeah. How do you handle that? As when what was she like in her early twenties during the peak of her career? Mm-hmm. It's incredible that she went through all that stuff. Which the entire story here. Sometimes it's hard to believe it even happened. Yeah. Because there's such a gap between who we know as Britney Spears, the performer, like what she means to people as a performer, um, her her strength, her creativity, like what she brought to the music scene, the performance scene, even during that, that uh, time in Vegas, during her residency and all of it. And her fan base is so huge. She's making bank. Um, but there's such a huge gap between that and what she's actually going through right in her personal life and and i think that that because there were so many characters who played a role in keeping a lot of the stuff behind the scenes behind the scenes um it it does feel like unbelievable that we're reading about this and somebody going through this in real life we're wrapping up guys final thoughts I think one thing that we didn't talk about um, just in wrapping up is um, the narration by Michelle Williams, which I think is quite something special to the book. I think Mm -hmm. it's very interesting that she did it. To me, she brings this kind of protective voice to the book Mm -hmm. um, that you don't, that, you know, Brittany never got from, the own, her, you know, like her own family members, her own partners in her life. Uh, I mean, she approaches this book as a mother, and I think that shows in the way that she narrates. Teresa, the, what you just said is probably the most powerful, like it brought up the most powerful emotion that I've experienced since reading the book because I really, I couldn't put it into words, but there was something about why it fits so perfectly that Michelle was the one to have read this book. Because sometimes you think, like, why wouldn't she have read her own book? That's just ridiculous. But you're so right. It fit so well. I never questioned it from the very beginning. And I think it's exactly what you've painted here. Like it, She was taking this, um, like, taking Brittany under her wing this way. Oh, my God. Uh, Karen, Teresa, thank you so much. We always appreciate talking to you. And when we get into book reviews like this, it's always such an insightful conversation. And we'll chat with you in December. Wonderful. wonderful. Have a great week. Thank you. Teresa Power, Karen McKay from the Center for Equitable Library Access. We're going to take a quick break and come back with Amir Khan, our audiobook worm. He's going to share us with us why these following three authors have left an impression or piqued his interest in some way. Lee Child, Patrick Stewart, and Tan Tuan Ng. We'll be right back on AMI Audiobook Review. Welcome back. This is AMI Audiobook Review, the weekly podcast where we chat all things audiobooks. And we're back with the audiobook worm himself, starting off November with Amir Khan. And Amir, you usually pick three. We've been used to you picking three authors, but it's not always the case. Three books, some kind of theme that ropes in three elements together. And today uh, we have three authors that we're going to feature you want to tell us how you chose these three authors, who they are, and how they all connect back? Sure, yeah. Uh, as per usual, there's no real connection between the three. Mostly they um, occur sort of organically when I'm randomly looking through things. And uh, one of the things I did recently was look through the New York Times bestseller list for the last couple of years to see 
um, what uh, what novels I may have missed or what was interesting and what people were, were reading for uh, for bestsellers. So um, one of the things I came across was a book called Blue Moon by Lee Child of the Jack Reacher series. And the Jack Reacher series has been very popular these days um, with the new Amazon Prime series coming out um, along with that series. So I thought I'd take a read of that. And that was book number 24 of the Jack Reacher series. No. <laughs> so <laughs> I know a lot of folks have asked me, like, what's it like to, you know, read a book out of series or can you and, and what it's like, especially a long standing, very popular series. So I'm like, you know what, I'm going to read this book and see if, you know, um, see what happens. Um, the second book, uh, I, was, I was speaking with a friend and they let me know that um, Patrick Stewart, uh, Sir Patrick Stewart, the actor and famous uh, all-around actor uh, in general, uh, has published his memoir recently. So I thought I'd talk a little bit about that. I haven't started it myself, but I think uh, those of us that have uh, been influenced by Patrick Stewart uh, would be fascinated to read about him. Um, and the last book uh, I came across with the, uh, an author interviewed themselves uh, on National Public Radio or NPR. Um, uh, Tan Tuan Ng uh, is his name. Uh, and he was talking about a island um, called Penang, uh, which is off uh, the coast of, Mal which is Malaysian, but off the coast of, of the mainland. And the books that he's mm -hmm. written about uh, that mm -hmm. particular geography, which I thought would be fascinating to um, talk about. Look at this. Even just the way that these books end up in your life so diverse. Not all recommendations, not all uh, heard from a friend. Mm, seriously. <laughs> not all heard on radio, right? You'd have to checkbox all three. And even the genre, right? I mean, so we have action in the form of Jack Reacher, and then you have memoir in the form of Patrick Stewart, and, you know, historical fiction in the case of uh, Tang uh, Tuan Ng. So, yeah. Yeah, variety Excellent. is the spice of life, and Almer's life right? is spicy. Yeah, we got to learn. Mm -hmm. It's a great way to live. Obviously, we want to talk one at a time. So uh, you want to talk Lee Child and the Jack Reacher series first? Sure. Yeah. The, this book is called Blue Moon. Like I indicated before, it, it was on the New York Times bestseller for quite some time. And it's a very action-packed book. Um, but it's not just action. Lee Child, part of what makes the, the DNA of the Jack Reacher series is that he's a student of, of uh, human behavior. Uh, and predictability, which gives an element of uh, fascination and interest to the novels. The main character, Jack Reacher, is a former army military policeman. Um, and sort of the way they, they structure his character is that, you know, the military police don't have a whole lot of resources, um, but they need to get the job done, so to speak, with fewer resources. And they're usually dealing with much more dangerous people than your average police because everybody they are arresting are pretty much military. So, um he has a special set of skills and he was particularly good at it, um, but he's left the army and he's sort of uh, trying to see what America is all about uh, and drifting from one place to the other. So it's a very much alternative lifestyle piece for for Jack Reacher himself. Um, most of his life has been in the military and going overseas from place to place. He's seen pretty much all around the world except uh, America itself. So um, he, he wants to sort of drift from one city to the other. And a lot of the novels uh, basically uh, have the geography or setting of a different city in the United States and the different sort of troubles he gets into or tries to help people out of. So why book 24? Why would you start there? Like I said, I, I was always curious because, you know, I, I, I do enjoy some longstanding series like the uh, Stephanie Plum novels or the Eve Dallas novels. 
And I saw this one at book 24 and people have asked me quite a bit in terms of how, what it's like to read a book out of order. And my usual answer is, well, I don't know. I've never done it before. So I wanted to give this one a shot and see how I felt about it in terms of, am I going to be feeling like I missed something from before? Am I going right. to feel like reading, going back and reading book one? Am I going to be totally lost? I think that was my, my greatest fear of, you know, like, especially at book 24. I mean, like, there's so much backstory. I mean, are, are they going to be referencing characters I don't know and um, scenes and things from, from before? But it was actually really well done. And I think for the most part, um, authors who have longstanding series, they will sort of hint at previous books, but it won't be to the point where you feel lost and the books really can stand on their uh, on their own. And definitely book 24, it does. There's no uh, there's no feeling of loss. Um, I did enjoy the book, which is why I went back and read books one through seven again. Um, and just like with a lot of other series, you know, some of the books are very similar to book 24 and other books are, are completely different. Good authors will, when they either write like long series or really long books, they will reiterate points to like remind readers mm. of certain facts. And I hoping that um he does this in this series where he really well enough facts. well enough, yeah book at book 24 yeah exactly like are there <laughs> other than the titular character jack reacher like are there characters that are present in all 24 books i doubt it um <laughs> I, I, well i can say definitive no uh in book 24 I, I don't think there were any characters from books one through seven um so a lot of his i mean part of the sort of ethos of his character is that he's a loner so there mm. will be sort of callbacks to previous situations and things and people. But again, there's, he's not in one place and he doesn't have a group of friends. So it, it's, it's, it's almost easier for the author not to do that in terms of um, building uh, characters that are sort of throughout. I'm wondering if you're going to check out the TV show. Why or why not? I may. I mean, I, I tend not to um, just because uh, they tend to go in different directions and, uh, Again, just by the medium, it, it goes in a, in a different way. And especially for a book like this, where a lot of the, the interesting part is not just the action, but the thought process of the, of the character, it's really hard to put that into, uh, into screenplay. Um, and, you know, the other sort of action or political dramas like, you know, Tom Clancy books have been adapted quite well into, into, into movie or onto screen. But um, mm -hmm. uh, you, you lose that sort of element of, okay, part of what makes this author great is is the thought process that's going on inside the character's head and unless you have like a seven hour voiceover <laughs> narrated movie that's not gonna happen right it's not meant to yeah, right yeah. it's gonna take the physicality yeah. and i guess the plot aspect and, and put it into film and tv show um and apparently lee child is the executive producer for this mm. series so there's more to it than just you know, take it and adapt. Um, he has a history. Two of his other books were turned into films, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't know if it's just captivating stuff that uh, ends up this way. Captivating stuff. And I think with screen and, and that particular medium, there's other things that, that can be done, like cinematography and things, which, again, from a, um, from a book perspective, can't, don't translate all that well. I mean, even for those of us who love, you know, human narration, I mean, there's there's such a difference in terms of you, you can do so much, so many things with human, just the human narration part of it that you can't mm -hmm. do with synthetic. And it's the same with screen. Um, you know, there's there's certain visual effects or, um, you know, certain actors can can really lend themselves to, to different things that are 
maybe beyond what the book has. I'm always curious about people who can get into long series. I, I just mm-hmm. don't have the loyalty. I've never been able to pick up, you know, investigative series or series of any kind um, and stick to it 24 uh, books in. Or, I know that's not what happened to you, I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. And um, also... Even with TV shows, you know, shows run long. We're in season 11, season 12, and we got diehard fans, and we got me going, oh, I stopped at season six. Like, how did you guys keep going? So I, <laughs> I'm curious about, number one, the consistency from the author's end of being able to write books on books on books in the same series. Do you feel like uh, it's done well, either point of view, you know, first-person perspective, characters as uh, Jacob brought in, or is there a way to kind of keep it fresh, Amr? Because this is not the first time we've talked about just, like, binging through uh, an author's series. Yeah, I, I think it depends on people's different sort of tolerance levels and interest levels on certain things. I mean, I remember when... Oh, we established that. Yeah, yeah, no, and and for certain things, right? Like, like, I remember Prison Break, which was a TV show for a long time, and uh, Prison Break was was a show about a guy who was in a prison, and I think that was for the first two or three seasons, and then they break out of that prison, and you're like, okay, this is done. And now then, what do we do? Yeah, yeah, and then the other brother gets put into prison for the next following season, you're like, wait... <laughs> <laughs> I've seen this before. I don't understand. Um, and, you know, they did it, I think, three times with three different prisons and three different locales. And I was just like, I can't do this. Like, I, I saw the original one. I'm, I'm good. Mm. Um, so, but other people loved it. And, you know, the series, the series definitely kept going. So um, I, I think it depends on how the authors, you know, adjust the formula if they have one. I mean, the Eve Dallas series, which, which I really enjoy, uh, is a very investigative police procedure very formulaic, um, but the way that the Nora Roberts writes it, it's it's new, it's fresh, it's a different angle, um, and I still enjoy reading it, even though I'm, you know, I think I'm in the twenties or thirties now in terms of uh, the the series number. And those are short books, right? Sure. I mean, they're usually under nine hours. Some of them get longer, like t- around twelve. Yeah, okay. uh, and and Lee Child also does not do too uh, much in terms of um, uh, beleaguering the point. Um, and some authors, like Lee Child, have sort of multiple climactic moments. So it's not just a, you know sort of an even bell curve of, okay, this is the journey and this is the high point. Um, tend to peak out one or two at least. So um, a lot of people like that as well. I'll add that for long books and long series, for certain people, I think it's just a known commodity. It's just more of a good thing. If you liked yeah. books one through seven, yeah, there's a good fair. chance you'll like books eight through Mm. 240 I don't know how many there are yeah and a lot of times the, the characters grow on you right so uh Jacob to your earlier point I mean um a lot of these long-standing series start to introduce other characters and, and it's almost like following a family where you know okay yeah I'm not just reading the book for the main character but I, I'd like to see this person right. again or that person again and see how they grow yeah definitely I I know that um for you at least Amir you've picked up books you know new uh, recommendations or book club books and then go back into something you know like the Dallas series so definitely that familiarity is there absolutely what about uh, this book by Sir Patrick Stewart so as I mentioned I haven't read it yet uh, I just took a quick look at the synopsis but um, I mean he's been an actor for I think 60 years um, which is a very long time I mean his name is Sir Patrick Stewart so he is knighted as well for his work 
Um, and, you know, everything from Star Trek to his original, um, you know, Shakespearean uh, experience in terms of being a Shakespeare actor. Uh, he's been on Broadway. Uh, he's done so, so much um, and, and influenced so many different generations. Um, and I think the part that, that made me smile the most is that the uh, the audiobook version is available on Sila. And it's uh, human narrated by him, so <laughs> I was, I, I was really pleased with that. Uh, a lot of us do enjoy his voice, his delivery. Uh, he has a certain way of, of of projecting his voice, which I think a lot of us enjoy, and has um, done himself well in his career. Uh, what about the memoir? Because uh, you haven't read it yet mm-hmm. or listened to it yet, um, and I'm wondering what it is that brought it you told remind us again how you found this uh, a friend recommended it to me okay. um and, and i believe it's about 18 hours so i don't think it's going to be a short read i mean again he's he's been in the business for over 60 years so i wouldn't expect it to be a short book um i have seen interviews with him and uh, seen sort of documentaries about his life before as well so uh, i am still very interested in in, in reading this memoir and, and seeing how um his career developed. I think a lot of it has to do with the friendships he developed too. A lot of people sort of thought that uh, his current sort of friend circle just sort of he, he had from the beginning, which he didn't. Uh, a lot of people he met through different movies and different sets uh, along the way. Um, and I think uh, the other part of the story that really uh, speaks to me is, is humble beginnings for him. I mean, his father was a uh, paratrooper in the British Army. I mean, you know, he, he wasn't sort of a, a dynasty from from a long line of actors or something. Isn't it interesting how we go into celebrity memoirs, <laughs> celebrity memoirs, without knowing exactly what we're getting into writing-wise? Like we don't trust them; they're not authors, exactly. Um, but we hmm. go in and we're like, you know, your story or this part of you interests me enough that I am willing to sit through a book or you know just go in. Yeah. And check you out. Right. Think... And you don't know if they're going to be a good author or not. Like, you have no clue. All you know yeah. is the, you know the things that they're great. known for, right? You just yeah. know that he's been exactly. an actor for all this time. Was he just going to talk about Star Trek? Like, no. I Yeah, like, fingers crossed you can write about it. <laughs> well, I think you, yeah, the, you really the... don't know what you're getting into. I, I think the the better of the, the celebrities know that they, they haven't written a book before and get um, some some good help to do it. Oh um, yeah, you would hope so. And uh, I think for the most part, they, they they know how to entertain an audience, especially if they've sort of banked on the audiobook part. I mean, in the book club, we we read uh, Will by Will Smith, and I, I think just by reading it, we know that you know from from go, he was like, okay, this is going to be an audiobook, and I'm going to entertain my audience, and um, and he does it rather well. Come a certain point of success and longevity, I'm sure these people like Patrick Stewart and Will Smith have people around them begging them to write a memoir. People will just read anything Well, when these yes. people are as interesting as they are. Yeah, and I think it takes uh, you know, some selection process on their behalf to make sure they are choosing people they would be satisfied with and how they want their stories told. Um, one of the sports uh, memoirs I've read um, by Andre uh, Andre Agassi, a famous tennis player, um, and you know the, the, he actually never graduated high school um, in the traditional sense. So I mean, you know, you're, you're okay. So I'm going to read a book, <laughs> a, a memoir from a guy who you hmm. know didn't graduate high school, but uh, again, he had the good sense to hire a Pulitzer Prize-winning author to help him, um, and it's an excellent memoir. 
think it's called Seriously, I'm Kidding. It's the um, memoir by Ellen DeGeneres. And yes, yes, this is before all the, the canceling of Ellen DeGeneres. I read this book and I was um, really looking forward to it because I thought she's funny. She's brilliant. Uh, I really enjoy her shows and her personality there. And so this memoir must be a very close reflection of that. But then the writing style that was chosen was so awkward for me. Like it didn't feel like Ellen talking. It wasn't, you know, monologues and her recounting her life or inside scoops and tea. It was done in this very strange kind of maybe poetic. I don't know what the heck this was supposed to be, but it's done where the style is not casual. And Ellen is one of the most casual comedic persons I, you know, see this way. So I was like, I don't know what to do with this memoir. Were these stories told from a first person perspective? Like, was it meant to it be first l- like presented like she was writing it, but it just didn't come off as her? That's a really good question. Mm. It wasn't even written as if, like, yes, she was presenting it, and yes, it was first person, but it wasn't stories. It didn't feel story like. It was stories, but, you know, little journal entries or diary entry kind of vibes. Um, mm. But it's like, is this how you write in your diary? Because it feels so awkward compared to the way you would hear her speak. And uh, anyways, it, this is not meant to be a deep dive of Ellen DeGeneres' memoir, but I was just thinking that parallel of, you know, who you know, how you know them as celebrity, what you want to know about them. But then you just take their memoir and got to go with it. Right. You would think their memoirs would be reflective of their personalities, mm-hmm. right? When you yeah. read Michelle Obama or Barack Obama's memoirs, like you kind exactly. of expect a certain writing style, a certain like intellectual level that they clearly live up to. And if you read exactly. something like Born a Crime by Trevor Noah, like it's funny, it's His clever, comedy. It's, it's comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yep. and you know I, I also reviewed um, on this show uh, Pamela Anderson's one of her books and that was a surprise too because again uh, like you said Rami you're expecting a certain something uh, based on what you've seen on screen but <laughs> the writing is completely different in this case it was a pleasant surprise but um, I, yeah I, I could see it going the other way uh, like you said with the uh, Ellen DeGeneres one there uh, okay final book slash author final book slash author is um uh, Tan Tuan Ing. Um, <laughs> One more time. Tan Tuan Ing. A very difficult name to say, um, but uh, the books sound absolutely fascinating. He writes primarily historical fiction, uh, and he primarily writes about the island of Penang. Um, for me, I knew Penang was a dish, a Malaysian one. I didn't actually know it was an island um, and, and had a rich history and culture. Um, so I came across this on a national public um, uh, NPR interview um, where they were interviewing uh, this gentleman author, and it, it sounded fascinating for for a whole lot of reasons. Um, primarily because the island of, of Penang has a whole bunch of cultures uh, and has had a bunch of co- cross culture for for a long time. Um, originally Britishly ruled, um, but uh, home to to people from China, from Japan. Uh, from from all those uh, type of places and all the sort of idiosyncrasies and things that come with with culture and, and where they meet, um, and all of his books have very fascinating titles, which I'm I'm a sucker for a good title of a book. Um, and uh, the, his latest author, uh, book is not in the Sila collection yet, but there are other uh, books um, 
in the Sila collection, including one called The Gift of Rain. Um, I think the, the one that is not out yet on Sila is called The House of Doors. So intriguing titles. Uh, and I look forward to trying out one of his books. How long is your to-do list for real, to-read list? Because you often mention books that you will be getting into, mm -hmm. and then lo and behold, you actually get into them. It's not like many of us are like, yeah, got to add that to my to-read list. And then, you know, next month we're talking about a whole different set of books. I think some of us have to-read lists and then like the actual to-read list. Just like, this yeah, is yeah, for yeah. show. This is for real. But I was pretty serious about it. I'm pretty serious. And I think it, it's, it's mood dependent like a lot of people. So I, I have a rather long list, but um, you know, there's some historical fiction in there. There's there's some memoir in there. There's some some other pieces. Um, one of the authors I tried out more recently, I had to abandon, uh, which is very rare for me. Um, uh, the book was called The Tusk That Did. You want to tell us about that? Sure. Uh, it was the damage. Uh, the author's name escapes me right now, but it was very much a first person account. Um, uh, of a baby elephant uh, and it's supposed to be three different sort of perspectives on poaching um, but it was the, the human narration and the the author's words were far too real I mean it's just yeah it, it hits way too close to home in, in a lot of cases um, so I had to put the book down which is quite rare for me I'm like okay this is too heavy I will have to skip this author do you make an effort to when you finish a book and pick up a new one to switch up genres to read something easier to read something a little lighter if you just came off with something heavy sometimes i mean i think it depends on how much i have the appetite for it i mean uh in the case of lee child the, the first author we, we spoke about uh you know like i said i read book 24 and then i read pretty much one through seven straight through and then after book seven, I'm like, I, I can't do another one. <laughs> I need to do something else mm. um, and, and, and do that. And, you know, um, as we mentioned, I really enjoy the Eve Dallas series. I'll typically do those in doubles and then go on to a different genre from there. Back to this author. Tan Tuan Ng. Thank you. Is he known for writing in English? Yes. Uh, the books are in English. Uh, I think most, it, pretty much all of them, I believe, are human narrated on this in the Sila collection, too. Um, so um, that was a pleasant surprise. And, you know, we, we have a lot of American authors uh, in the Sea collection. And, of course, the New York Times bestseller list has all sorts of um, uh, American titles. So I, I thought it would be refreshing to, to go and read something that's not from this part of the world. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. Of course. Uh, Amr, awesome. Jacob, anything else? Uh, that's it for me. Amr, thank you so much for joining us again. Always a pleasure. Take care. Fantastic. All right. So we've been exposed to uh, three authors, one book, Lee Child, Patrick Stewart. And we haven't really been exposed to Patrick Stewart, but we've been exposed to his memoir and <laughs> Tan Tuan Ng. So Amir Khan will be back in about a month. We're kind of flip-flopping around between end of the month and start of the month with Amir, but he will be back and he's always given us a good think about the books he's read or about the books he's about to pick up. And that's it. This is the end of AMI Audiobook Review, at least this week's episode. We'll be back next time. Probably check in with our friends from the Center for Equitable Library Access and some more book talk. I am your host, Ramia Amadin, with co-host Jacob Shemansky and technical producer Nisreen Abdel-Majid, who is back with us. We missed her. And until next week, happy audiobook listening.
I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.